Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. How could Joseph do this? By faith. Faith. It was by faith. When he is dying here, he's speaking about Israel leaving Egypt. He's giving them a commandment. He's taking an oath, carry my bones away. And someone might say in that group, or maybe not say it, but think it. Someone might sit there and think, what difference does it make? Where Joseph's bones rotten, deteriorate. Why not just leave them wherever he dies? Why take this oath that we have to carry his bones back to Canaan? It just seems kind of creepy. You know, they're asking his brothers to promise they're going to carry his bones well, as Joseph is getting his brothers to make this promise to him, he knew that, that, that they would not be the ones who were going to carry his bones out. He knew that. Why? Because the promise that was made to Abraham in Genesis 15, 13, Genesis 15, 13, where God said, he said unto Abraham, know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them and they shall afflict them 400 years. Joseph knew that. I mean, this is the promise this is the passage of the promise that they're going to leave. And he knows it's going to be a 400-year time. So he's telling his brothers, guarantee to me that you're going to carry my bones out, but he knows that they're not going to be around 400 years from now. I mean, just imagine this time period here. I mean, you know, if you were in the U.S. when the U.S. was formed in 1776, and you got someone to promise to carry your bones out of the U.S. 400 years later, that means today we're halfway through. Got another 200 years. And you told people, don't lose those bones. (laughs) And we can imagine how important those bones were for Israel because as each new generation comes on the scene, there'd be the instructions that, you know, those are Joseph's bones and we need to not lose them, take care of them, and just have them ready. Have them ready there because, you know, when God gives the call, we got to carry them out. So those bones became pretty important and they represented like Joseph. And it's like, it's like that coffin where the bones were in were like they were speaking for Joseph all the time. You know, and what the, what the coffin was saying, what the bones are saying is that don't get settled down here in Egypt because God is going to bring you out of this place. And when he does, you need to carry my bones out. And so, uh, you know, where Joseph's bones were, that was the point, is that they represented Joseph continually saying, God's going to take you out. God's going to take you out. It reminds me of a missionary. Some of you may remember this missionary, but anyway, back here in the, it was here in the chapel in the 70s. And the missionary was building his house in the jungle. And the natives were helping him build his house in the jungle. And, and the natives, they worked hard, you know, clearing the land and building the fence and getting the foundation for his house ready. And they worked really hard as long as the missionary was there. 
But as soon as the missionary left, he had to go do some things, the natives stopped working. Even though the missionary continued to pay them during the time, they just stopped working. So the missionary came up with this solution to the problem because the missionary was blind in one eye, and he had a glass eye. So the missionaries got the natives together, and he told them that he had to go, but that he wanted them to keep working even though he was gone. And the reason the missionary gave the natives keep working is because he was going to leave his eye there (laughs) to keep watching them. So right in front of the native there, the missionary pops out his glass eye from his eye socket, and he put his glass eye on the top of a fence post. (laughs) And the missionary told them his eye was going to stay behind and watch them. And when the missionary came back, he found the natives. They worked hard. (laughs) You you could watch the natives, and they were looking at his eye all the time. (laughs) And so, so just as the missionary left his eye behind to watch the natives, to keep the natives working, Joseph left his bones behind and commanded his bones to be carried out of there. And, and just as it worked for the missionary to keep the natives working, it worked for Joseph also. 400 years later, the record shows in Exodus 13, 19, Exodus 13, 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn, straightly charged, straightly sworn, the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones away hence with you. I mean, can't you just picture Moses? Can't you picture Moses at that time saying, all right, it's time to leave Egypt. And, and where are those bones of Joseph? We've got to make sure we take those bones. So when it says there that he did that in Exodus 13, 19, Exodus 13, 19, that Joseph had straightly sworn the children of Israel for them to take his bones, the word straightly there, it's the same word as sworn. It says straightly sworn. What it really is saying there is he's saying sworn, sworn. That's a double emphasis the way they did it. So Moses takes the bones, and for 40 years, they wander around the Sinai Desert, and the bones wander with them. And during those 40 years, Moses is not able to bury the bones. So, and then, you know, Moses never went in, as you know, to the promised land. So now Moses is now transferring the reins uh, to Joshua. And as he's passing on to Joshua and, and you know, he, the staff of leadership or whatever he did, he's saying to Joshua, oh yeah, and here's Joseph's bones also. And so Joshua then assumes responsibility for Joseph's bones, and he's the one who carries them into the land of Canaan until he finally came to this parcel of ground that was designated for the tribe of Joseph, and then in Joshua 24, 32, and then in Joshua 24, 32, it says, and the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of the land of Egypt, buried they in Shechem in a parcel of ground which Jacob bought of the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver, and it became the inheritance of, of the children of Joseph. So finally, Joseph's bones get buried in Shechem. I mean, I don't know if you're thinking about that, you know, but this is 450 years later that, you know, that they come to this land since Jacob had been there. That's a long time, 450 years later. How did they know where that land was? I mean, you know, were there survey marks there? I don't even know if they would have lasted 450 years. I don't think so. Anyway, but, but never mind. They found the land there, right? They didn't have Donnie else to go mark it out for him, you know, so. <laughs> so. The point about all this is with the bones and everything is that when we look at Joseph and how comfortable he was in Egypt, we just hear God's challenge to us saying, you know, uh, 
none of you, God was, could be saying this to us, none of you are going to be as comfortable in life as Joseph was in Egypt. And none of you are going to face as strong a temptation to make this world your home as Joseph felt about Egypt. And that's why God would say, look, if Joseph could resist seeing Egypt as his home, then you can resist seeing this world as your home. Because by faith, from Hebrews eleven twenty two, Because when Joseph told his brothers to not leave his bones in Egypt, he was saying, in essence, Hebrews 13, 11, Hebrews 13, 11, look, the bodies, well, this is later, but the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people of his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp bearing his reproach. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. So, I mean, you read that passage and you say, wait a second, the bodies of the saint animals were burned outside the camp. Well, what's the brazen altar for? I thought they were burned. No, okay, listen. In Leviticus 16, Leviticus 16, there is a description of the most important sacrifice for the Jewish people, which is on the Day of Atonement, on Yom Kippur. And there is a description there of the bull offering and the goat offering for sin. And what happened to those offerings? And so it says they were killed there, tabernacle, later the temple, and the blood is brought into the Holy of Holies. But then their bodies, that bull and that goat, which was for the sin of Israel, the sin offering for Israel, they were taken outside the gate, outside the camp, and burned. And I remember when I was recently in Jerusalem, and I was, we were you know, going around the outside wall of the city, and you, you kind of look down this street out there, and in the distance, you see Mount Calvary. You know, it's, it's not part of Jerusalem. It's out there. I mean, Mount Calvary, where the Lord Jesus was sacrificed for our sins, it's outside the city walls of Jerusalem. And the fact that Calvary was outside the city, it may seem like trivial to us. It may seem like, oh, so what? It's so what fact, but, but it is a big what? Because the book of Hebrews grabs that point that Calvary is outside the city, and it drives the main point of the whole book of Hebrews which is a letter written to Jewish believers who were losing everything. They were losing everything for the sake of the Lord Jesus. They were losing their home, their family, their possessions were being plundered. They said they were taking that joyfully, all because they were following the Lord Jesus. And, and one time, the Lord Jesus went, in fact, it was Palm Sunday. So he's being hailed as he's being led into Jerusalem Palm branches are coming down, and he's walking on them, and people are saying wonderful things and so forth. And when he gets there into Jerusalem, says the whole city has moved, when he gets there in Jerusalem, he tells a parable in Matthew 21.33. Matthew 21.33, where he says to them, here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged it in a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. When the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits thereof. Husbandmen took his servants, beat one, killed another, stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, they will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir of the king, this is the heir. 
come, let us kill him, let us seize on his inheritance. And then he finished this up by saying, so they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. Out of the vineyard. He's talking about Jerusalem. Just imagine the Lord there as he's speaking about what is going to happen to him. And he says, and they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him, slew him. And he's saying this, it's on Palm Sunday, and he's in Jerusalem. He's speaking about himself being caught and cast out where he's going to be killed. And can't you just see the Lord standing there in Jerusalem and just maybe looking over the wall outside the city there and seeing Mount Calvary and saying to himself, yep, that's the place where this is going to happen. That's the place where I'm going to be cast out and killed. He's talking about, he's talking about Jewish people catching him and casting him out to be killed outside the city. And he's just come into the city. And all the city has moved with him in Matthew 21, 9. Matthew 21, 9. The multitudes that went before and that followed Christ saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he's come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? And so all the city is asking this question, who is this? And he answers the question with a parable. And the parable answers the question. I'm the son that the owner of the vineyard is sent here and I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be cast out. And, and he's telling everyone this so that they would really think it over. You really want to follow me? You really want to follow me? Because if, and this is the whole driving point of the book of Hebrews. So in the beginning, the followers of the Lord Jesus, they stayed in the temple, for example. They were part of it. But when the Lord Jesus was cast out of the temple, cast out of the city, they stopped going to the temple. They left the temple. So a Lord Jesus, a Lord Jesus who is outside the camp means that the followers must go outside the camp to him for the followers of the Lord. That's why it says we go outside the camp to him. He's outside the camp. He's outside the religious system. And the reason for leaving this world system is because we don't have a continuing city here, which means that this world is a sinking ship and the Lord is the floating ship. And so we're being called on as God is calling on all believers to transfer ships, to put your foot out and get on the floating ship from the sinking ship. So because here we have no continuing city. No, we have, here we have a sinking ship. And what Joseph is doing here is he is continuing this spirit of Abraham, this promise of Abraham, when he's saying to them, I may live in a palace, I'm living in a tent. Like Abraham, I view it as a tent. You call it a palace, I call it a tent. And when we start to get comfortable here on earth, when we start to secretly say in our hearts, not bad, not bad, not bad at all. I think I could do this. I could live just fine here. That's the time when the Lord's going to allow a great trouble in our lives, like some disastrous illness or a financial crisis crash, just to keep us realizing that we don't have a continuing city here. We want to make this continuing city. This is nice. But the Lord is saying, no, no, that's not good for you. So by getting his brothers, by Joseph getting his brothers to promise to carry the bones out, he's like handing his people his hope, his hope. I mean, he's saying, look, life is just not worth living unless, unless you have a hope for the next life. And so he says to his family, I die. And immediately he comes in and says, and God will surely visit you. He turns, he turns their focus from him as the dying one to God. He's encouraging them. 
you've had this happen to you. Sometimes you go to a hospital and you're going there to encourage some believer and you come out more encouraged yourself. Well, that's what's happening here with Joseph. Joseph encouraged them to realize that he was going to die, but God was not going to die. God will surely visit you. And again, this way they do it in Hebrew when it says surely visit you, it's kad, it's a Jewish word, a Hebrew word. And it just, and he said, pakad, pakad. If we were to try to translate it maybe more accurately, we say, God will visit. I mean visit. <laughs> and pakad means also means care for. So you could say, God will care for you. I mean care for you. So Joseph is dying, and he's thinking about the great promise that God had made to Abraham 225 years earlier. And even though this promise was made to Abraham 225 years earlier, it's just as fresh. It's just as alive a promise as if God made it yesterday. So he says, God will surely visit you. It was like there was a relay race going on with this family. And Joseph has just finished running his part of the relay. And so he's passing on now this baton of hope to the next ones who still have their part to run in the race. And he speaks that God's going to bring you out of Egypt and talks about God bringing him out of Egypt. There was no evidence at that time that God was going to bring him out, that that was going to happen. No evidence at all. Didn't look like that at all. But Joseph, what you saw in Joseph there, when he's talking about it, is that Joseph is cherishing the promise that from God that the family's going to be brought out of Egypt. And that's why he takes this oath from them to carry the bones out. And so what he's doing here for the effect on the family is, you know, here's this big gulf of death between Joseph and, and heaven. And so by Joseph's talking about he's going to God, he's going to bring him out. Joseph has just built a bridge over this gulf of death. Now, we come to verse 26. Joseph's died. He said he's going to die. Now he died. Verse 26. He was 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and, put, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. It's the last words of the book of Genesis. <laughs> the last words of the book of Genesis are in a coffin in Egypt. <laughs> so that coffin of Joseph was, as we said, is a visible evidence of his hope, the hope, the people of God, a hope that Joseph, when he's dying here, he's like smiling at death. Death is coming. He's smiling at it. He says, okay, you're just the tunnel that's going to lead me to God. And a hope that he had that looked at centuries of waiting for the exodus from Egypt till that day when that coffin was lifted out, you know, put on some shoulders and then put on a cart. I don't know how they did it ferried out of Egypt. And for centuries before that, this coffin is just speaking. It's like speaking, it's a Joseph is speaking, Habakkuk 2.3, Habakkuk 2.3. The vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end, it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. And for us, we don't look at it like they did. We don't look at a coffin containing a dead Joseph. We look at a living Jesus. And our march out of Egypt, so to speak, into the promised land, we don't follow the bones of a leader, we follow a forerunner. In Hebrews 6.19, Hebrews 6.19 speaks about that, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner for us is entered, even Jesus. So what we've done is we've learned here in Joseph how to look beyond the immediate and reach beyond it, to the things that aren't seen. That's what Joseph's doing. 
like it said in 2 Corinthians 4.18, 2 Corinthians 4.18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And Hebrews 11.1, Hebrews 11.1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So as we said here, the book of Genesis, it starts with creation, creation of man, and it ends with, with a coffin. <laughs> so, but it's a coffin of hope. Because as it says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. And this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. And the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. The end. <laughs> How many of you were here when I started the teaching the book of Genesis? One, a few, okay. That was in January 2012. Okay. Uh, you want to know what we're going to study next? I'll tell you. I don't know. <laughs> but there are some candidates of Exodus. It's the next Matthew, John, I don't know. But anyway, the Lord prayed to get directed this week. Thank you all for enduring for the six years in the study of Genesis. And if you missed any of it, Matt has it all on tape. Okay. 346 lessons of them. That's today's lesson, 346. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this great book that you have, Lord, preserved down through the millennium, that you caused Moses to write accurately, that, Lord, that we can hold in our hands today. Thank you for the privilege of being able to read it and study it all these six years. Lead us on now, Lord, as to what in your word we should study next. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Reach Israel. Join Tom Cantor for the second annual Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference in San Diego, California, February 22nd and 23rd at the Creation and Earth History Museum. 
early bird registration, only $99, includes a two-day conference pass, meals, teaching, creation museum, and tabernacle admission, plus over $150 worth of equipping resources. Come hear Tom Cantor, Dr. Michael Brown, Dan Sered, and more on how we can reach the lost in America and Israel on February 22nd and 23rd. Call 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or sign up at ReachIsrael.com. That's ReachIsrael.com. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Israel Restoration Ministries is excited to announce a limited-time offer for our Friendship with God Study Bible and Hymnal. This package includes a large-printed Genuine Lambskin Leather Bible featuring over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references, maps, timelines, and frequently asked questions. In addition, you'll also receive our Friendship with God hymnal. This hymnal, the first of its kind, contains over 1,000 hymns and melodies, making it the largest collection ever printed. Included with your purchase, you'll also receive a complimentary engraving of your name on either book. For more information, visit us at friendshipwithgod.org or give us a call at 619-599-1104. That's 619-599-1104.